0: in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now,
1: the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert, and I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. This is a program that for nearly the last three years, we've had the incredible privilege of talking with some of the most amazing Christ followers who are in business and marketplace leadership from around the country. We get a chance to uh, interview uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, uh, presidents of uh, Christian colleges and universities, uh, the occasional athlete and so forth. But what all of our guests have in common is they are living out the faith to their best ability to honor Jesus Christ in the marketplace. In fact, our tagline here at Bottom Line Faith is eternal business, real life. And this is this place where we love to discuss the intersection of faith and leadership and business in the marketplace. I'm really excited to uh, introduce our guest for today's program. I'm speaking with, we're going to speak with Todd Bolsinger. He is uh, a consultant and a professor, professor of leadership and formation at Fuller Theological Seminary. He's the author of multiple books. We're going to get into especially a little bit about his latest project that is called Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory. And there's a kind of a backdrop there that's going to be really fascinating. So Todd, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Thank you. Nice to be with you. Well, you are calling in today from a pretty beautiful part of the country. Where? where I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. You are? I'm in Pasadena, California. Pasadena home of the Rose Bowl right yes it is yes it is yeah well I live in Indianapolis and as I go around the country Todd everybody asks me how many times have you been to the Indy 500 and I have to tell you, I've only been twice how many times have you been to the Rose Bowl
1: uh, that's a good question. Well, at see at Fuller where I work, we actually host a gathering every year at the Rose Parade and the Rose Bowl. So um, I'm not a huge football fan. I'm actually more of a soccer fan. So, so okay, it's usually work. Um, but I've been about oh four or five times. Yeah, four or
0: five times. Very good. I know it usually usually pits you know one of the top teams from the Big Ten, one of the top teams from the Pac-12, and I'm in Big Ten country here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And so welcome to the show. We're so glad that you would invest some time. With us, Todd, would you take just a a few moments here and help our audience understand your work there at the uh, seminary, and then some of the things you do as a consultant? Of course, we're going to talk about some of your research and so forth. But just help our audience get to know you and your your background just a little bit. Yeah. So, so I'm a
1: vice president and chief of the leadership formation division at Fuller, and uh, as well as an associate professor of leadership formation. And what I do basically is uh, help. Fuller, as a theological seminary, think about how we can make our research and resources available to the broader church, whether people need our graduate degree from us or not. And specifically for your audience, one of the, most, one of the things that has been the, one of the biggest changes in theological education has been the number of people who aren't looking necessarily to get ordained in a church, so they don't necessarily need a master's of divinity, but they are serious about their faith and they're serious about leadership formation, and so they want the research and the resources of a place like a seminary uh, to help shape and change them, train them, and that's what I get to do. I get to work with marketplace leaders and mission leaders and nonprofit leaders and church leaders who already have degrees and don't need any more initials
0: or debt. Well, let, let's take just a moment I, I'm, and, and kind of dive in deeper to, to, to some of the changes that you're seeing take place and the, maybe the, the mindset or the thought processes of these leaders. And so you've been in the, the world of higher education for how long? Quite a while, right? Well, the, the last seven years, uh, six, the last six years full time, 27 yeah.
1: years I was a pastor, and I, and I got a PhD in 2000. And the whole time I was
0: pastoring a congregation, I was also teaching in, in theological education. All right. And so, with the, especially in the context of what we're about here at Bottom Line Faith in the marketplace and training business leaders and entrepreneurs and so forth, what, what are you seeing that's changing? What are you seeing, in, whether it be in the culture, in the mindset of Christ followers as they're coming, you know, under your leadership to be taught and trained and educated? What are some of the changes that you're seeing that uh, would be of interest to our audience? Yeah. Yeah. So, so two, let me just tell you two quick stories that'll probably capture them.
1: One is, um, so I had a man who came up to me and after hearing me speak, he said, you know, I have an MBA from one of the leading business schools in the country, but I have a Sunday school level theology and I have a growing conviction that my business is really where God has placed me in order to be a witness for Christ. I, I, I don't have the capacity to come back and get a master's degree in theology. I don't think it would actually help my business. I don't think it would be good for my family, but is there anything you could do to help equip somebody like me, right? So what I would call an educated, but not academic uh, theologian, a person who wants to have his this his, his business, Ah, uh, be a, re- a reflection of the values that he has as a Christian, but he wants a deeper theological training to do that. He wants to. He literally said, "Every decision I make, I default to my my business school training, and I'd like to have theological school uh, insights to go along next to it." And and that's been one really significant change. the The other thing, to be honest, is the growth of the church through the marketplace. So. I was in Hawaii, and a, one of my uh, former classmates invited me to preach at his church. And the night before, he said, look, interesting thing happening in Hawaii is that we think we have an, we're have we having the beginning of a revival happening, but every church being planted started by a guy who runs a termite company. And, uh, you know, some people were in his Bible study, and they said, this Bible study is so great, it shouldn't be a Bible study, it should be a church. So they, you know, he kneeled, they put their hands on him, now he's pastor termite guy, and, um, and the church is exploding. And they're, they're, and, these, and he, he said, you know, this person's never going to stop their business work to get a formal theological degree like you and I got. But he's going to need the ongoing kind of training and formation and equipping in a context to help him lead this ch- these churches. And, so, if he, and then, so my friend said to me, you know, if you would give people like me resources to help mentor and support people like him, we think this is the work of the Holy Spirit and we want to be able to do so. So I I think you're seeing more partnership in the name of mission, right? More creative missional opportunities when people take seriously their faith that's happening in the marketplace. Um, We work closely with a group in Silicon Valley. Um, Almost every tech company in Silicon Valley has what's called an employee resource groups. And those are groups of people who like, you know, Christian at google.com. And those are Christian groups who are working on caring for and discipling people in the workplace, you know, those are folks who would never come to seminary, but they are leaders in their companies um, where they are supporting Christians in the companies. And so um, our Max Dupree Center for Leadership and
0: the work we do is doing more and more work with those kinds of folks. So, so there's, there's actually three examples. Those are, those are fantastic. And so um about 20 years ago, a little over 20 years ago, is when myself and another gentleman started our ministry. It's called Truth at Work, and our audience is pretty familiar with Truth at Work here. But I remember back in the day, Todd, when uh, 20 years ago, you could hardly find a book, you could hardly find resources, certainly not the events and the conferences and the, the ministries that, existed, that exist today around this integration of faith and business. In your estimation, with your background and experience, What's changed over the last two decades? Why is there—I don't know if I should say—sudden resurgence of this? But why is this becoming so prevalent in the church or in the body of Christ? Well, I think for one thing, as um, churches take more
1: seriously that their reason for being is to make a, a missional impact in the world, you have people sitting in the pews saying stuff like, "Well, then, then that means my work every day, Monday to Friday, is just as important." As uh, being an usher on Sunday, or teaching Sunday school. So what I need from you, pastor, is to help equip me for my ministry. And then the next thing you had was a group of pastors saying, "Okay, I'm not sure how to do that. Like I can tell maybe an illustration, but what is the uniqueness of that?" And so you know, like my um, one of my colleagues, Mark Roberts, has a PhD in New Testament. Every single day writes a devotional called Life for Leaders that goes out to thousands of people. It's all about applying the Scriptures to a challenge that you would have in the marketplace today. And there's thousands of people who every day open that thing up, read it, and then they apply it. Well, you also have pastors who are now saying, you know, I want to be better at equipping people for ministry the way we would, the way we were used to think about equipping people for marriages or for parenting or for, you know, youth ministry. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a growing change in
0: that way. I've seen that, too. As I said, you know, two decades ago, you could hardly find a book or resource. And now they're everywhere. And I'm very grateful for that. So let's just imagine for a moment that, you know, I'm listening to this conversation that you and I are having. And um, I'm feeling that, right? I'm feeling that call. I'm feeling that pulling or tug of the Holy Spirit to live out my faith in the marketplace, And I'm also very involved in my local church. What would you, what advice would you give me and how to approach my pastor or pastoral leaders about equipping me and or those in the congregation? What, What advice or encouragement would you have for us to be sharing with our pastors and leaders? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. I appreciate that one, Ray.
1: But what I would say is, um, think about a partnership with your pastor. Think about, uh, in one sense, um, the pastor is the person who has been equipped in the scriptures, they've been equipped in theological traditions, they're, they're equipped in the care and the formation of souls. They're, most of them are not equipped in the context, the local context. So think of it almost like you're a missionary in a mission field. So I've often said to pastors when I work with them, you know, you think about wanting to bring your theology. If you went to a completely different culture, if you showed up in Asia or in some place, you would listen deeply to the people here talk about their, their pain points their longings their the things that they are uh, that they aspire to and their hopes um that partnership is really important um i was shaped deeply as a pastor by a 68 year old man who had been the president of a real estate company who literally said i'm retired i don't need an income but i would like to come on your staff and help you equip laity for their ministry well immediately having him sitting in meetings with me, he would say stuff like, you know, the way you said that is going to make the person who runs a company feel like they are not very spiritual. You've got to have a different way of saying that. Todd. Hmm. Uh, and so even now my work in leadership formation has really been shaped by my understanding of the business world. You know, I say all the time that the scriptures aren't great at a theology of leadership, but they have a robust theology of management. They just call it stewardship. And yeah. most Most pastors don't make the connection that stewardship isn't about the money you put in the plate. It's about the way you are a good manager of your whole life. And you've got a bunch of people who do this every single day. That's what they do.
0: And how much, I remember growing up, you know, hearing, um, you know, as I was early in my career, college and early in my career and so forth, there was almost like this feeling that there were like bifurcation of those in the body of Christ, The, the, the holy ones were, like, you know, pastors and missionaries, you know, they just given it all up for Jesus. And then there were the the marketplace people who their job was to make the money to support those who were called. Yep. Are you seeing uh, a shift or a transition in some of those mindsets as well?
1: Yeah, and it's happening in two ways. So so the work that I do is is in leading change. And so what I often say uh, is my book, Coming in the Mountains, uh, uses the metaphor of Lewis and Clark about how they literally were on an economic journey. They were trying to basically find a water route that would increase the economic vitality of this new nation called America. And they were trying to find this water route because it was so it was an economic mindset. What happened is, is when they went over the Lemai Pass in, when, from Montana into Idaho, the, the map was completely wrong. They discovered hmm. there wasn't a water route, there were the Rocky Mountains. And so they needed to actually lead differently. Well, the research behind that is research that people in the business world and in the military community and the nonprofit world have known for years. It's just the church hasn't known it, hasn't talked about it or thought about it. So when, I start, when people start reading my book, what happens is a person who at, at work has been doing um, adapt, agile training, lean training, um, how, to, how to think about new markets, how to be innovative, now all of a sudden has a voice in the church because the church is saying there's something we can learn from that. Um, my, my publisher said, your book is going to be read by every spirit Christian leader who secretly reads Harvard Business Review on the side <laughs> and is trying to, figure out how to apply those concepts. And that's really where I work. And so what's happening is there's this great partnership now with because the church is now entering into the same rapidly changing world that people who've been in the business world, for example, or even in the military, for example, which is interesting – have been in for a long time, you know? So if you're in journalism or education or the business world or any of those places, you know, the, the the old cliche is true. You know, the church is kind of like Kodak trying to sell film in a Mm. digital world. And so that is changing dramatically. And now
0: we're having a robust conversation about that. Yeah. Can we just maybe park there for a second? Because I think what you're, what I'm hearing you say is it's, it's more than just, contemporary music and smoke machine and you know this experience on the weekend service what are some of the deeper transformational changes that that church leaders and pastors and and the body of christ is going through in order to effectively equip and empower the laity to uh, reach reach the world for christ in the business sector what's that look like So so here's just one example um, almost
1: everybody in the business sector knows that if you're trying to, uh, say, make a big sh- a pivot in your business, like a, the first thing you do is you get really clear on your core values that are not going to change, right? You just get really clear on, hey, this is our business. This is what our business is. So if we do a pivot, it's a change of strategy without a change of vision. Well, in the church, we have to do that a lot. We got to be really clear on there's some stuff that we're not going to change. We're not going to compromise on. These are our convictions. They come, we believe they come from the Holy Spirit. They're, they are put upon us by Christ. So the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, these things are important. But what we've got to be willing to do is ask ourselves, how do we wisely adapt our strategy? How do we What is a wise adaptation of our core DNA so that we can move into the future? Well, one of them happens to be just the reframe that says, Um, the most important thing happening in the body of Christ is not how many people you gather on a Sunday morning. It is the impact of the gospel going into the world through a community of people who see themselves as organized around the mission of Jesus Christ in the world. Well, that changes how you spend our time and who you talk to and who's important, who brings wisdom, who brings insight, and it changes changes even theological education, right? Like who who comes to seminary and who does a seminary serve? changes
0: that so are you saying that you know across the board and i know sometimes when we speak in generalities it can be a bit dangerous but from a general perspective are you seeing churches perhaps even denominations or church bodies if you will change their approach and strategy i love that and i wrote that down here it's a change in strategy not on your core values and not on your your vision are you seeing them move away from the importance of the weekend service and more into equipping the body or is it kind of a combination? What's that look like? Well, so I do a lot of consulting around the country and
1: I talk to a lot of other consultants and almost every consultant that I've talked to, we've kind of come to the agreement and I'm trying to do some research on this that every church right now, the two big challenges in every church are adult discipleship and leadership development. And the reason for that, and and there's a, Two more i could add but but those are the two big ones well the reason for that is adult discipleship for a long time was just built on the sunday school model right people right. an hour, sat through a good teacher well today if you've got a you've got a rapidly changing culture where the average church a, a strong church attender comes 1.2 times a month that is that's if you're a regular church attender that means you cross the 1.2 times a month barrier. Wow. Well, that means if you're trying to disciple a person who only shows up maybe 15 times a year, 16 times a year, you're probably going to need a different strategy, but discipleship needs to take place. So we are actually working at this on develop, we've developed an entire different model of adult discipleship called fuller formation groups that are really built around using technology so people who travel can stay connected more um, and people who work and, and uh, aren't able to be at churches as often. So it's not like we're trying to say, hey, it's, not, it's important to not come to church. It's important to recognize that even a healthy, vibrant church is going to have a different part of their congregation there every Sunday. So you're going to have to think about discipleship and leadership development. And this is deeply, and it's really important when you start talking about younger generations. Millennials think a lot more about a holistic understanding of my life purpose, not just with, uh, my membership in a church. And that's, uh, it's a, it's a different adaptation for
0: most uh, congregations and most leaders. Okay. Well, that, that's very fascinating. And, and by the way, I didn't know where this conversation might take us, but as I'm listening to what you're, you're, you're sharing is, um, I'm thinking about technology. I'm thinking about, you know, we see the numbers, we see the research, talk about millennials being the most connected generation ever. And yet maybe the most, most isolated in many ways. So if I'm a Christ follower in business, and I'm looking to develop, you know, the right kind of culture in my company. I want to leverage technology, take, take advantage of everything that's available to me. What are you, what would you say are some of the keys that I need to make sure that I'm implementing or what are some of the thoughts or strategies to leverage technology to build out my company, my culture, because that's really what a church is trying to do. And at the same time, make sure that technology is a bridge and not a wall of connectivity. Is that, question makes sense at all yeah actually so one of the things that I do is I deliver my my team
1: uh, delivers tech um, resources to the churches both in person and through technology okay Okay. we use technology because we know that um, online learning if done well can be more impacting than face-to-face learning because online learning keeps you in your learning context so if I if I was training so let's say you uh, wanted if you have a business and you would like to learn as a leader how to be a, how to be a person who leads a healthy organizational culture as part of your witness for Christ, mm-hmm. what you're not going to do is leave your company for three years and come get a degree from us. You're actually going to want to be trained while you're leading your company. And so what you need then is resources that you can take into your company. Well, that's going to be technological resources. They're going to be online and they're going to be podcasts like this and reading. And you're going to probably also want mentoring. And that mentoring can happen face-to-face, but it can also happen um, over technology, just like the conversation we're having. So what you're realizing is the mission and the values are now driving the delivery. Mm -hmm. That becomes radically different than a day where, say, discipleship meant you have to go somewhere and disconnect from your work. to go somewhere to get discipled. Now it's actually in the context.
0: So that is opportunities to think about that. uh, Okay, that's really good. Uh, Folks, let me just remind you that we are speaking with Todd Balsinger, who's the Vice President and Chief of Leadership Formation and Associate Professor of Leadership Formation at Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, Todd, if someone is intrigued by some of the things we're talking about, I'm going to get back to that topic in just a moment. What's the best way that they could get information on you or the seminary or the best way to reach out to you? So I would say just the simplest thing to do
1: would be to look up um, the phrase, the Fuller Leadership Platform. That's what we run. That's our that's our blanket um, work that we offer, the Fuller Leadership Platform. And if you go to the Fuller Leadership Platform, you will find invitations to lots of resources, like from our Debris
0: Center, our Fuller Youth Institute, for other things. That's where it comes from. Yeah. Okay. And so just Google search or, you know, on the, their search engine, Fuller Leadership yeah. Fuller, leader, fuller leadership platform. That's it. Oh, all right. Fantastic. Well, I, I want to talk about your your latest book in just a moment on canoeing the mountains. But before we get there, I, I, I want to maybe just drill down for just a moment because this certainly is an area of expertise for you. And this is where you've, God's called you and equipped you. So, again, I'm a Christ follower. I'm listening to this conversation. I'm building a company. I own a business or I'm leading a department. Give me two or three absolutely must-do's and maybe a couple of must-don'ts in order to effectively live out my faith and to evangelize and disciple in the marketplace. Does that question make sense? Give me a couple of to-do's and a couple of to-don'ts, maybe. Well, the first to-do, I think, is to actually embrace that wherever
1: you are in, the people who have been... One of my colleagues says, you know, whoever the people who have been entrusted to your care... Um, wherever context you're in, that is the place that you are called. You are called there as much as a preacher is called to a pulpit or a missionary is called to the mission field. So if you can Im- embrace the sense of vocation and that your vocation is to live out, embody the reign of God in that place. It is to be the answer to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. And what we mean is this place, earth, this business place, this meeting place, you know, I say it's the, it's the law table or the kitchen table or the classroom. If you can embrace that with as much sense of vocational passion as a person who is in, quote, full-time Christian ministry, you're gonna, it's going to radically change your life. That's the first thing I would want. All right. The second do is then commit yourself to growing in that. Commit that in the exact same way that uh, every time Christ calls somebody into, mission, into ministry, he calls them into deeper discipleship. Um, the, the disciples didn't stop with Jesus, take a three-year course, and then start following him as he preached and proclaimed the reign of God. That You're going to need to grow while you're doing. So if you're committed to your calling and you're committed to growing in your calling, then you're going to actually end up doing better. And those two things, if you do those two things, the rest of it's going to follow, right? Now you're going to be asking yourself questions like, who are these people entrusted to in my care? What do I need to grow them? What what does it mean for people to have a healthy organizational culture where they flourish like if you're committed to your own sense of calling and to your own growth as a leader then you're gonna actually and be end up making an impact
0: it's excellent how about something to like don't do
1: <laughs> well what I would say the biggest thing to don't do is think of your workplace as something that is instrumental to something else in mm-hmm. other words I, I'm, I always bristle a little bit when people say stuff like, you know, what I really am is, is um, I'm really a Christian and I just wanna win souls for Jesus, but I happen to be a salesperson. And I'm thinking, well, then everybody sees that coming, right, they, they sniff that out in a heartbeat. If your only reason for talking to me is, is that you want to convert me, then I'm not gonna probably be open to you. So I look at it as a much more robust understanding of the kingdom. I want people to become fully committed followers of Jesus but that means I'm deeply committed to working with making the structures, the companies, the cultures. That's just as important to me. You know, um, you know, the good folks at Chick-fil-A don't pass out tracks, they pass out really great chicken sandwiches. That's right. <laughs> right. And there's a difference that you need to never forget
0: about that. I love that. That's right. <laughs> they they do make good chicken, right? <laughs> Well, that's, that is really great. So, I just want to recap that real quickly, at least from my notes. The two things that you were saying essential to really living it out is embracing the context, embracing where God has you as your mission field. Did I and I summarized that a little bit? And then, secondly, committing yourself to growing and learning what it means to live that out. Is that yes. did I get capture that okay? Yeah, exactly. It, and then the kind of the thing to to advise against was to to don't just see these things as separate, don't lead with, you know, I'm here just to save souls, I happen to be in business or whatever, but they really are integrated one and the same. Did I catch that okay? Exactly. I, one of the examples I sometimes use that kind of just, to, just to, as a mental
1: model, is I say, um, w- before I became a, a, felt called to be a pastor, I really wanted to be a national park ranger. That's really what I wanted to do growing up. And okay. I, as a Christian, if I was a national park ranger and I spent my whole day amongst trees and rivers and animals and taking people on hikes, um, could I believe that being steward of something like Yosemite National Park is just as important as being the steward of San Clemente Presbyterian Church for mm. 17 years? And in, because I believe that God is king of all, yes, absolutely, it has to be.
0: I love it. I love it. That is, that is really, really solid. So could we talk for maybe just the next few moments about your latest book, uh, Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never met an author who's not excited to talk about their, their, their books. So I assume that's okay, right? <laughs> what, um, so this is the third book, right, that you've written. Did I have that right? What, what led you to this? And if somebody were to pick it up on Amazon or wherever they might be able to, to, to secure a copy of this, what would you hope that they would glean or learn by, by reading the book? What, what, what inspired this and then what do you hope your, your readers to get
1: from it? So um, I did my PhD in spiritual formation. So it's basically how people become more like Christ and how do we create Christian communities that are more like Christ. Um, what I found was when I would go to places to talk about uh, Christian spiritual formation and Christian community, the underlying question was actually more anxious. It's our churches feel like they're dying. I feel like we're, we're losing our capacity to actually impact the world, let alone grow in the world. What should we do? And I, be, and I began to talk more deeply about that with people and one of the conversations I had was with a pastor who said to me, you know, 40 years ago, he, he was, he'd spent his whole life in Alabama. He said, 40 years ago in Alabama, we didn't even worry about our church dying because every man who skipped church on Sunday, his boss asked him about it at work on Monday. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he said, you know, if you're, if, so today, it's, that's illegal in many places, right? You couldn't, you can't, um, church attendance and church vitality can't be built upon a cultural home court advantage. And that what we're really talking about today is that most of us, especially if you're about 50 or older, grew up in a world where the church had a home court advantage. So they just, every not that everybody was a Christian, right? So in my office, I have a copy of the LA Times from 1963. And in 1963, the Los Angeles Times gave you a, a, a week's worth of daily Bible reading, hmm. right? So if you can think about where the Los Angeles Times would help you with your morning quiet time, you can imagine the culture having a home court wow. advantage, right? It's not that everybody was a Christian. In 1963, Billy Graham's crusades were at an all-time high because people needed Jesus then, too. But what's different is the context. Mm. So going to the mountains is about the way in which the church is now moved into a totally different day, a day where we don't have a home court advantage, and that literally there's an opportunity now to explore and move into the future as disciples, but it's going to require us to learn to lead differently. And... I get to use the story of Lewis and Clark, which is a big adventure story. And I get to talk about what it's like to uh, when the maps, when 300 years of mental models and maps are wrong, and how you <laughs> begin, to, like, begin to learn to lead totally, in totally different ways than, than you were trained to, learn to lead.
0: I could only imagine that moment, like you said, with hey, come over and look, uh oh, this is yeah. not at oh. all what we thought. Yeah, so, so just think about this for a second. They spent the winter with
1: the Mandan tribe, and the Mandan told them, oh, there's a river on the other side, but you're going to have to cross over mountains. And they said, oh, good, we're good at mountains. We're from Virginia. Well, like, <laughs> like you know, nothing against the Shenandoah Mountains and the Blue Ridge Mountains. Those are beautiful. But if that's your only idea of a mountain, when you see the Rocky Mountains at 14,000 feet for 300 miles, <laughs> there's no way you're going to paddle a canoe through there. And, and it re- the whole book, Canoeing the Mountains, is really about the notion that you can't, canoe through mountains you actually have, if you're an expert warrior you have to drop the canoes to keep pressing on in your journey and it's about the
0: changes that the churches need to make so again back to what you were talking about earlier, a change in strategy the vision the destination the objective was still the same but we're not gonna be able to paddle all the way there yeah exactly well and especially for business folks the thing about this
1: is um it was an economic a metaphor, they were trying to find a water route that would actually help them connect the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean into Europe. So it was an economic model. So when they discovered there was no water route, why didn't they go back? Why didn't they go back and go, hey, we need a a different economic policy. And the reason why is they actually had a deeper set of values. They weren't my values, but they were their own values. And their values were that the growth in learning, the growth in knowledge would lead to the growth of happiness. So, their enlightenment values. So, what happened is at that moment, they went to their deepest values and they pressed on. And for those of us in the church, when we get into a place where the world is rapidly changing, instead of trying to go back to the past, what we need to do is go deeper into our deepest values and then ask the question what does our deepest values look like in this new day?
0: That is really good. Leaning into to your values, right? I recently interviewed uh, a gentleman, one, some of my favorite all-time interviews, uh, Dr. Roger Parrott is the president of Bellhaven University And Jack, Do you know Roger? I know. I've, we've talked a couple times on the phone. Yeah, and he has this um, model that he teaches and how he leads the university. He calls it opportunity planning as opposed to destination or strategic planning. And, and uh, this is fresh in my mind because we just talked a few days ago. And he said that that is really the key is you have to have your mission abundantly clear. You have to have your core values, your non-negotiables, like laser sharp and clear, and then evaluate the opportunities as God brings them to you as it compares to your mission and your core values. And that's what I, you're just, in my mind, reestablishing, you know, that same conversation. So what advice would you have for the business person who's listening to this conversation. I want to just kind of transition the next three or four questions as we wind down here, Todd, around some advice and insights. What advice would you have for the business leader who or the owner who's listening to this conversation? And they're just like, they feel overwhelmed. They feel like the, the pace of life, the pace of business in the marketplace is changing so fast. How do I keep up? How do I adapt? I'm, I'm still trying to figure out where we're headed. What, what's that look like?
1: Well, I think the thing I would say is um, keep coming back to believing that your business is part of the answer to the prayer, God's kingdom come, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Like keep coming back to really, You're not the only thing, but you're part of that. So partly then to ask the question, so the way that um, N.T. Wright puts it is he says, the kingdom question is, what would it look like if God was running the show? (laughs) And I think for a business person to say, what would it look like if God was running our shop? If God was mm-hmm. running our printing shop, our copier shop, our coffee shop, our our you know uh, uh, software as a service company. Uh, if God was running this, what would God be doing? And one thing God would be doing, I think, every time, is trying to say that the business is really a way to employ people, to create value for people, to create value for in a community. It's it's to actually embody something of God's values in a way in its own business so keep asking that question about what does it mean for my business to be an expression of the kingdom of God Um, and the second thing is how does my business want a place where people can experience in themselves um the formation that God would want for them like can like I I often think that if, if you have a every single person who's on my team i work at a school it's a seminary but i work at a school i think i am responsible for helping them grow into the person god wants them to be so Mm -hmm. create the context where if you work for me for six months because you're a student worker or you work for me for 16 years you're going to be more like christ and closer and more embodying christ's life in your life as you've been there
0: but it's a lot of, that's just solid, solid input and advice and, and just really leaning into that. So let me ask you this. As you look back over the course of your own career, whether it be as a pastor, consultant, author, now, of course, at the uh, Fuller Theological Seminary, what's the biggest mistake you made? And as you look back and say, wow, if I had a chance to do that one again, how would I handle it? Well, I would say this is, so this may sound um, ironic, but this
1: is really true. The biggest mistakes I made early on were not learning from my mistakes. (laughs) Yep. Right. So, so everybody, I mean, I really am a believer that if you learn from failure, it's not failure. It's experimenting. It's learning. Learning is never failure. Early on, I was so embarrassed about my failures that I wouldn't (laughs) learn from. And so I would get defensive and then I or I would rationalize them or, you know, I can remember uh, decisions that I made early on, especially like I, I, w- I was asked to do a lot of speaking pretty young. And there were decisions I made about like this, things I wanted to say or ways I'd say it. And if I got confronted, I remember one time telling a really inappropriate story and I embarrassed one of my friend who invited me there. And when he confronted me on it, I got even more defensive. Like mm-hmm. so I actually told him he was the one that was off. I look back at and I cringe, not only because I told an inappropriate story that I embarrassed my friend, but because I was so defensive that a person was trying to help me grow, I didn't take it from them. So the biggest failure of my life has been not learning from my failures.
0: <laughs> that sounds so simple, right? And yet it is profound. So in that vein, if you had a chance to sit across the table from the 20-year-old you, and if you could get the 20-year-old you to listen to you, yeah. what would you want to say to him? um
1: i would say um focus on learning like humility doesn't mean i think less of myself humility means i am teachable just keep focusing on learning and you are going to grow as a leader leadership is completely dependent on your capacity to keep learning
0: i love that uh, humility doesn't mean i think less of myself it means i'm teachable that's really good that is really good well, gosh, Todd, we this is crazy how fast this time has has gone. And yeah, I'm, I'm just have a, maybe one or two more questions for you here. But before I get there, is there any other insights, uh, wisdom, learnings, uh, something that you want to make sure that you get to share with our audience uh, before we wrap up? Anything come to mind? I do. I do think that to pay attention to the fact that if
1: you're really seriously about uh, about having your faith make an impact in the world, then one of the parts you have to actually do is love the people in the world as much as God loves the world. Mm-hmm. Like to really learn to love deeply the community you're in, the context you're in, the business you're in. The I mean, it's not everything about it is lovable, but so love is an action. But to love as deeply the world as God who so loved the world he gave his son can be really helpful. And the too many Christians are, we are beginning to be reactionary, pulling out of the world, Uh, condemning the world um i mean jesus it says in john he didn't he didn't come to condemn the world so i think for us i would say learn to love the world you're in
0: and the context you're in deeply so that you can bring the love of christ to it i love it i love it well folks we've been uh, speaking with todd balsinger and again uh if you want to learn more about todd and and or his work there at fuller Uh, seminary theological seminary uh, he has shared with us to go make sure I've got this right Todd, go just check out fuller leadership platform Google search it or through your search engine and you'll find is that right that's it that's it oh that's fantastic folks I I do want to encourage you as we begin to wind down our conversation check out Todd's book, Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Unchartered Territory. I think we have a lot to learn from the past. In this case, the model of Lewis and Clark and what they had to do to adapt and, and the plan they had set out changed how they learned and grew from that. And so, Todd, the last question that I ask in every conversation here at Bottom Line Faith is we like to call this our 423 question. And It's really about insight and counsel we know the words of solomon where he writes you know above all else guard your heart for from it flows all of life so todd as as we wind down our conversation today would you just fill in the blank for our audience give us your above all else advice above all else
1: um grow in knowledge of self and knowledge of god uh, John Calvin said, all true and sound wisdom comes from the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Um, I think that the, he said, literally, like rivulets that lead to the same stream, doesn't matter where you start. If you come to know yourself honestly and more deeply, you will turn to the God in whom you love love and in whom, in whom you live and move and have your being. If you come to love God deeply, you will see yourself better. So make everything about your
0: life growing in the deeper knowledge of yourself and the deeper knowledge of God. Oh, that is fantastic. Todd, I can't thank you enough for being our guest here today on Bottom Line Faith. Thanks so much. Yes, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, Rick. Well, folks, what an amazing conversation with our friend Todd Balsinger, who is with the Fuller Theological Seminary and really one of the leading experts in the country who has invested so much of his life really studying this concept and this issue around living out our faith in business and in the marketplace uh, not only studied it, but um, is consulted by churches and businesses and leaders across the country on this topic it 's written books on the topic as we just uh, discussed, and so forth and that 's really what we 're trying to do here at bottom line faith is bring to you some of the best resources, some of the best thought leaders in the country on living out faith in the marketplace, you know, as we said the top of the show here, eternal business, real life, bridging the gap between faith and business in the marketplace. Well, we hope you've been encouraged by the program today. We hope that you would uh, share this conversation that we've had with Todd, or if you're a regular listener, please forward along the links to these podcast interviews and, um, you know, post on your social media um, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, Instagram, and so forth, and really help get the word out about Bottom Line Faith. We are seeing continual growth in the program. We have thousands of listeners on a monthly basis. We are excited to see how God is continuing to encourage Christ followers in business. And so until next time, I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith each day in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work, If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.